0: Well, oh, good morning people. Uh, we're starting a new series today. We, just, we decided we weren't going to get through Acts in any reasonable period, so we'd, uh, we'd do Galatians. So we're on Galatians 1 today. Um, I'm going to also be reading a whole bunch of single or double verses, two verses in a row from different places to try and help understand what I am, that I use to help understand what this passage is bringing out to me. Uh, I'll put all the verses up on the Facebook page after this, in case you want to check it out. I advise you to check it out, checking out the context of these verses. I'm not a real fan of just saying something from a single verse. I've done my best to um, check the context myself, but with the pressure of having to have something ready, I may have been a little light on it, I guess, and convinced myself it said something I wanted it to say. So I advise you to go back to the Word and check it yourself. It's always a good idea, whoever's up here, um, to verify that we haven't interpreted things within our own frame of reference, that God's Word is really saying that. So I'm going to do the sections of this letter. I'm going to do three sections, and I'm just going to read the section just before we talk about it. Um, So I'll start with the first five verses. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the church of Galatia, grace to you and peace from your, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age, according to the will of our Father and. Oh, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever, amen. So I don't know how long it is since you got a real letter. Um, it's quite a long time when I've got anything in my mailbox other than a bill. But when you get a personal letter that arrives there, I always look at the handwriting and say, do I recognize who this from? who this is from? I'm always trying to work out who it's from. If I don't recognize the handwriting, I turn it over and read the return address. And if they haven't bothered to do that, as soon as I open it, I go to the end to see who it's from. Now, the letters in, in the New Testament times were written on scrolls. So rather than waiting until someone opens, rolls all the way to the bottom to find out who it's from, Paul's introduced himself at the start. He's given a brief summary of his credentials. He's an apostle. He's sent by God which he's very big on. He's sent by God, not by man. He isn't there because somebody has sent him. He's there because God has sent him and given him that role. He also summarises what he's going to say later on. Like any good business report, he, in case people don't get to the end, he wants people to know um, why he's um, why he's writing, which is in the next couple of verses. But this, this passage interests me because it said God was there to deliver us from this present evil age. I spent a lot of time on the bus this week thinking about what does this evil age mean? Why do we? Why does he refer to it as the evil age? So we get some in, insights into that from 2 Corinthians oh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 which says in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this world. The God of this world is not the God we serve. The God of this world is Satan. We gave him that, Adam and Eve gave him that right when they sinned. In this current age, Satan has a lot more power than he really deserves. Sin is in our lives, it's in our institutions, it's in our way we think. You don't, you don't have to watch much news to realise that just the way we think is wrong. We tend to promote things that aren't God-centred. Our news is full of wars and strife. People just think, that have been started basically because someone wants something that they don't have. So to be delivered from this current evil age means something else. It doesn't mean we're taken out of it. We're all Christians. We haven't been removed. We're still subject to those evil institutions. We're still subject to those evil ways of thinking. And if we're honest about it, we still tend to drift into those ways of thinking a lot of the time. So what does it mean to be delivered from this present evil age? Well, we've got one, two, three, five verses that I'm going to go through um, and speak about that. first one is John 17, no, that's the wrong one, and there you go, John 17, no, sorry, yeah, John 17, 16, right. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil ones. So Jesus is praying for us before he's crucified. For his disciples and for those who believe in the disciples he's not praying that we're removed from the world from temptation or from the trials, but that satan won't be able to use those things to capture us again we can resist the temptations we face we can resist the pressure that's put on us externally to not believe in christ because jesus has delivered us to us we have a choice about sin Once we accept Jesus, we can choose not to sin. Unfortunately, I often choose to sin. But nowadays it's a choice. Before I knew Christ, we didn't really have that much of a choice. Sin has a hold on us. In many ways, I often think the only real choice we ever have is whether to follow God or not. Before that, We don't have any choice. We won't follow him. We follow Satan and we follow our own lusts and desires. And that's the way of the world. The way of Satan. So Jesus has given us the opportunity to not follow that path. Colossians 1.13 For he delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son so part of the deliverance is we are no longer part of satan's kingdom we have moved into god's kingdom not the final version of god's kingdom there's an intermediate stage between christ's coming the first time and the second time it's not until the second coming that the full kingdom is implemented and we actually experience it in its fullness but we're partially there we've got one foot in the kingdom And we're trying to lift the other foot out of Satan's kingdom, but it's still in Jerusalem. Then Hebrews 6, 5 says, And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. It's talking about fallen Christians, but it says Christians have tasted what it's like to have God's power in their life and fallen away. Part of the deliverance is we get to taste God's goodness. We get to taste what it's like to be a child of God. We get to taste what it's like to be forgiven, to be free. Unfortunately, a lot of us choose, a lot of people choose to go back to the way it was. God doesn't force us to stay in his kingdom. Now, I've had a lot of debates over the years about people who think that once you're a Christian, you can't really lose your salvation, or you can't. Because if God's got you in his hand, how could you get out? My point of view is it's always better to assume you can lose it. You can give it away. You can say, God, I don't want any more to do with you. Because I don't think God's going to force us to be where we don't want to be. Which means it's always something we've got to be aware of. We've got to make conscious efforts to stay in God's kingdom. Do the things that strengthen us with God. Not give in to those little, little temptations that start that are a small wedge that open up the bigger gap. Stop sin when it starts. Don't say, oh, this bit's okay. I'll wait until I get this bad before I do something about it. We need to make steps as if we could walk accidentally walk away if we're not careful. Uh, then we go back to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. So therefore if any man is in christ he is a new creation the old things have passed away behold new things have come now all these things are from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation when we become christians we become a new creation so we're not the old person that we were before we were christians god's given us the opportunity to be something new and he's given us a ministry that ministry of reconciliation seeking to bring other people into the kingdom to reconcile them to god that's part of the function of being in his kingdom some of us are better at it than others i'm one of the not so good at it because that because talking to people not so good at that um particularly people i don't know and then romans 12:2, uh which is they do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Part of the deliverance we have is we now have the ability to be transformed into the person God wants us to be. Before we didn't have that option. Now we can choose to be the person God wants us to be, or we can choose not to be. There's another verse which I didn't put down where Paul says, That the person who was with him has fallen back in love with the world and gone away. Be wary, my brothers and sisters. We could fall back in love with the world. Often the way you hear Christians talk about their lives before they were Christians idealises what they were. How much fun it was when they were partying with all those drugs and stuff. They forget why they left it. They forget the emptiness that it was bringing to them. Be careful how you speak about your time before you're a Christian. Otherwise, you'll end up idealizing it. You'll forget the reason you chose to leave it. Remember instead the reasons, the struggles you had that caused you to turn to God. And hold on to that. And I hope we all make the choice to stay free. Because I think it's a danger that one day, the world we live in, it's not as hard as the world Paul lives in, it's not as hard as the guys in the Philippines we're in a very comfortable world. And it's easy to say, oh, I've got, I've got my big TV. I've got my pool out the back. Maybe, yeah, maybe the world's not so bad. Maybe I'm pretty comfortable and I'll stay pretty comfortable. God's just asking me to do hard stuff. Nah, no, I don't think I'll put my feet up. I think I'll relax a bit. That's dangerous. And that's, that's, that's our world is sucking us away into comfort and um, and ease because sometimes God wants us to be disciplined so verses 6 to 10 is is Paul's brief summary of what his letter is going to be about and I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you by, grace, by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only that there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which you have, we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so I say again now. If any man is preached to you a gospel contrary to that which you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favour of men or God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul's worry that the Galatians have so quickly abandoned the... The grace that they were given, they so quickly abandoned their commitment to grace. We we find out later on that the gospel that's troubling them is that um, they must being, they've got to be they've got to be like Jews. It's got a fancy name, I don't know what it is, but they were to be real Christians, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to follow all the laws of Moses. Paul's saying that's not true. Grace is there for us. And even though the path is tough, it's there, but for all of us, and there's external pressures that that try and pull us away from that, but there's internal pressures, there's the pride. You know the trouble with grace? It means you don't deserve it, and you can't deserve it. You're not good enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't sing loud enough to deserve God's grace, and that offends our pride. I like to think I've earned stuff. I like to think when I get my pay packet that work's getting value for their money. Actually, I hope they're getting more than that value and they give me more later on. But, but but we like to think that we've earned it. We like to think that we are owed something. So the summary is basically there's something pulling these Galatians away from grace. And that's the, that's the thing we have to walk against. We don't... Don't so much worry about the specific of following the Jewish law. That's not a big thing in our, in our in our culture. But there's lots of things that pull us away from grace. I suggest that if your ultimate motivation for doing anything in service of God is that you must do it to be a Christian, or you must do it to stay in God's good grace, then that's pulling you away from grace. I see your ultimate motivation. For example, I, I strongly believe I need to come to church on a regular basis. I believe God told me I need to be here. So in my head, I say I have to go, because that's how I work. Do I feel like coming? Not necessarily. Do I think other people have to come to be Christians? Not necessarily. This is something that I need. And I'm doing it and I'm making the language that I have to, to because but ultimately, I want to do what God says. It says, it's this, this, Slight difference. I'm not doing it because I have to be to be a Christian. I use the language I have to to make me, because I want to be here and do what Christ wants. When we're acting and we're following God's will, ultimately we need to want to be doing it. We shouldn't be guilted into doing it. No one should be able to say, oh, look, you need to teach Sunday school because God's done so much for you. And if you don't, you're probably not a real good Christian. You're probably being selfish. Do we want to follow God? He's going to ask us to do some hard stuff and it won't feel like it. He asked Christ to go to the cross. Jesus didn't feel like doing that. But he wanted to obey his Father. So he did. Christ may ask us to do stuff we don't want to do. Are we willing to do that? The motivation has to be we want to obey God. Not that we have to. Because as soon as we have to, we're not relying on grace anymore. We're falling back on our pride. Because we can now achieve something. If I teach lots of Sunday school, I'll be a good Christian, God allow me. One of the things in my life that says when I've drifted away from the principle of grace is when I'm driving along and the lights are all against me and I'm late for this meeting or I'm late for that. And I say, God, what have I done that you're doing this to me? Well... He could roll out this great long list of things I've done that might deserve this sort of punishment. But it shows that I'm saying, God, you owe me. As soon as I think that, I'm moving away from grace. God does not owe me anything. He extended his grace to me. I don't deserve it. I can't deserve it. And I can't earn it retrospectively by being super good after I'm now a Christian. We still need grace. And the other interesting part about this summary is he calls himself a bond—well, this version's bond servant—but standard translation seems to be debt bond slave. In Deuteronomy, we read that if a, a Jew had got on some big debt, so he went into slavery for five years or seven years, another Jew had to free him after seven, saying the debt's now cancelled. But different times, the person being freed could say, actually. I want to stay in your employ. I want to remain your slave because life's hard out there. You treat me well when I'm with you. I have food. My family's secure. I'm likely to make another. I'm willing to be your servant forever. And they go and they pierce their ear with an awl on a doorpost. Um, And it's a big picture of us. We can choose to be in God's kingdom. We can choose to serve him as his slave. We can choose to be obedient. The bond servant was still a slave. He was still required to follow his master's orders, directions. But he said, I'm better off doing that than I would be outside. Are you better off in God's kingdom? As soon as you start looking at the big houses and these people who tweet these wonderful meals because they go to these really expensive restaurants, say, that's where I want to be, you're probably losing sight of all the things God has done for us and what he's offering in his kingdom. Where do you want to be? Slave to God? Slave to Satan? I'm not sure there's a third choice. It's sort of one or the other. The last part of of this section is Paul's qualification. Now, People were saying, Paul, you're not a real apostle. You didn't see Jesus in the flesh his argument is I saw him on the road to Damascus he came to me I'm a real apostle and I didn't get the gospel from me I went off and I studied the scriptures that I already knew thought I should have known everything but I didn't I went away studying the scriptures for three years to verify what i would seen on the road Paul and was well-versed in Scriptures, but he wanted to see that the teaching God had given him was correct. One of the reasons I urge people to go back and when they hear stuff here that impacts them, go back, look at the verses and make sure it was right. Make sure the person up here isn't just saying stuff that makes you happy or conforms with your worldview. What does the Scripture say? Did they read it right? Not one of us up here is perfect enough that we're always going to be right and interpret the Scripture correctly. We all have our own frames of reference our own things that are bothering us and our own beliefs that we sometimes read into those scriptures read them and if you find something's wrong check with someone else come up and tell the person. i think i didn't understand how you can interpret the scripture that way or maybe it could have been this talk about it if the person says to you oh don't be stupid of course i'm right and you're you don't know anything you should probably come to the elders and say look we've got a real problem here um because that says something about them, not about you. We always need to be open to the fact that we could be wrong in the way we've read Scripture. However long we've been believing that thing, a minister that I had a lot of respect for over the years once believed a certain thing about women's position in the church. He preached that for years. For some reason he went back to Scripture and, and he changed his position, which is really uncomfortable for all the people who joined his church based on his former position. He said, I'm sorry. I got it wrong. This is how I now understand the scriptures, And I might be wrong again. But you can only be faithful. We can always be wrong. The thing I believe since I was a Christian at 15 could be wrong. It'll be tough to admit if I've been living my life around it. But I have to be open to that possibility. And Paul's testimony also says, I was set apart from the womb. Before he could do anything, he was set apart for God's purpose. We need to remember that God set us apart. I don't know why. I have no idea why he put me in here. I'm a little bit more charitable for some of you. Most of you, I guess. But most of us would say, why, did God, why would God choose me? Because we know I so well. We know there are areas we fall down. But he did. He chose you to be part of his kingdom. He has a purpose in mind for you. He has good deeds that he's prepared for you beforehand to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. Are you open to that? And you just need to remember that. It's not how much you do since you become a Christian. It's not how much you do in your life. It's because he sets your path. So go back to the Word. Check out what it says when people say things. And remember, it's by grace we're here. None of us deserve it. Um, we can't earn it. What we want to do is, because we want to be like Christ, we want to do things to reflect Him, to express who we are. And that'll be, for some of us, that'll be music. For some of us, that'll be teaching Scripture. I don't know what it is for you. Think about it. What would you like to do to bring God's mission to fruition? Maybe it's sewing. that the Saddleback Church used to go around and visit new people and say, what would you like to do? And the example he gives in his book is, one lady says, I'd like to sew squares and so they set up a ministry where she owned squares into blankets to give to the homeless because that's what she believed she could do to serve God it seems fair God made her a certain way she loved knitting that's not wrong strange but it's not wrong so um, anyway however you want to serve God seek it out and do it because you want to reflect God not because you have to not because you want to impress the people here or somewhere else but because you just want to be obedient to God and share what he's made, what he's given you in the ministry that he's given you you may get some reward from it, you may not you may get some recognition for it, you may not none of that should matter we're humans, not might. but do it because we were saved by grace and God made us a certain way to do those things and that's me, thank you all